Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. So we're living in this period, you know, different people have called it different things. But it's, you know, in a sense, I mean, it really is this age of grace where God's primary work in the world is not so much the judging of nations and so forth. His primary work in the world is gathering together a people for his name. And so God is not currently imputing men's trespasses to them. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Ezekiel chapters 29 through 36. Now, here's Pastor Brian. All right, so as many of you know, we're kind of highlighting the the key text throughout Ezekiel here. So rather than, you know, going through word by word in every chapter, we're highlighting certain sections and then just quickly going over, over other sections. So, so we're going to just zip right through chapters 29 through 32 here in just a matter of a couple of minutes because these chapters are dealing with God's judgment that would come upon Egypt. And although it's fascinating stuff historically, if you get the whole picture of what was happening at the time, it really is directed very specifically toward Egypt, toward Pharaoh. And so there's not a whole lot in it that is pertinent to us today. But let me just read a few passages beginning in verse one. It says, in the 10th year, in the 10th month on the 12th day. So Ezekiel was taken into captivity in 597. And so this would be 587. So this is 10 years into the captivity. And so he gives us the date. And then he, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face against Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and prophesy against him and against all Egypt. Speak to him and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And he says, I am against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, you great monster lying among your streams. You say the Nile belongs to me. I made it for myself, but I will put hooks in your jaws and make the fish of your stream stick to your scales. I will pull you out from among the streams with all the fish sticking to your scales. I will leave you in the desert, you and all the fish of your streams. You will fall in the open field and not be gathered up or picked up. I will give you as food to the beast of the earth and to the birds of the air. Then all who live in Egypt will know that I am the Lord. So a prophecy, as we see clearly it, uh, against Egypt. So in the context now, Judah is fallen, and Nebuchadnezzar has conquered the city of Jerusalem. He's led the people away captive, and now Egypt is still a, a powerful opponent to Babylon at this time. So during the whole time of, of Jeremiah's prophecy, 
You, you had initially when Jeremiah began to prophesy, you had the big threat was Assyria still. But then the Babylonians came and they more or less defeated the Assyrians. But then the Egyptians were vying for position as well. And the, the Egyptians were primarily concerned, like everybody was, about the advance of the Babylonians. And because Egypt was still a, a, a significant power, I mean, at this point, it's the, it's the second greatest military power, or maybe even the first greatest military power. The, the, the final battle hasn't happened yet. So, uh, but the Egyptians had been able to withstand the Babylonians up until this point. So there are these two, you know, great military forces that are battling one another. And Jerusalem was leaning onto Egypt, so to speak. They were trusting in Egypt. They thought Egypt's going to defeat Nebuchadnezzar and we're, we're, we're going to be safe. Everything's going to be fine. But now the Lord is speaking through Ezekiel. Remember, Ezekiel is in Babylon. He's speaking to the captives the message is going back to those in Jerusalem as well. And basically, he's saying that the Egyptians are going to be defeated. Pharaoh is going to be overthrown. And then the next verse says this. It says, and this is speaking to Egypt about Israel's relationship with them. You have been a staff of reed for the people of Israel. When they grasp you with their hands, you splintered and you tore open their shoulders. When they leaned on you, you broke, and their backs were wrenched. So Ezekiel's just speaking in very uh, descriptive language here about the unreliability of Egypt to hold up Israel. So Jeremiah gave a similar prophecy about those who were trusting in Egypt, and the Lord spoke through him and said, for those who, trusting in, who are trusting in Egypt, it's like a person uh, leaning on a reed and then the reed piercing through their hand. The reed breaks and, and the reed pierces through their hand. So again, just this picturesque language of the, the, the reality that Egypt is not going to help them that it's, it's vain for them to look to the Egyptians for deliverance. So, I mean, if you think about the irony of this, remember where Israel came from originally, right? They came out of Egypt and they rose to great prominence. Obviously under David, they were the dominant power in the whole region. And, and yet now they're back to a place where they're looking for help from the Egyptians, so rather than looking to the God who originally brought them out of Egypt, they're rejecting God's word and they're thinking the Egyptians are going to help them. So these chapters, beginning here in chapter 29, verse 9 says, Egypt will become a desolate wasteland. Then they will know that I am the Lord. So all of these chapters are, like I said, they're really just a prophetic word about the coming overthrow of Egypt. So just a couple more verses. Let me read from verse 12. I will make the land of Egypt desolate among devastated lands, and her cities will lie desolate 40 years among 
ruined cities, and I will disperse the Egyptians among the nations and scatter them through the countries. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. At the end of 40 years, I will gather the Egyptians from the nations where they were scattered. I will bring them back from the captivity and return them to Upper Egypt, to the land of their ancestry. There they will be a lowly kingdom. It will be the lowest or the lowliest of kingdoms and will never exalt itself above the other nations. I will make it so weak that it will never again rule over the nations. Egypt will no longer be a source of confidence for the people of Israel, but will be a reminder of their sin and turning to her for help. Then they will know that I am the sovereign Lord. So what this is is talking about the 40 years. So Nebuchadnezzar is going to conquer Egypt. He's going to lead them away into captivity. And when Cyrus comes to power, Cyrus had this policy where he wanted to have a more friendly policy toward the nations that he inherited after conquering Babylon. So he allows them to go back to their countries. That's how the Jews end up going back to Jerusalem. So the Egyptians then would go back to their country. But notice this, they will be a lowly kingdom. It will be the lowliest of kingdoms and will never exalt itself above the other nations. So remember, uh, as we said, you know, back in the, in the ancient times, back in the time of Joseph, for example, Egypt was the world power. And Egypt was still this, this mighty, mighty power at the time of the Exodus. And Egypt remained um, you know, relatively strong throughout all of these centuries. And at the time that we're reading about here, Egypt is once again in a very powerful and a prominent place. But the Lord says, after, basically he's saying, after the, the Babylonians conquer them, they will never again be a world power. And, you know, that is exactly what the rest of history looks like for Egypt. So Egypt has some prominence during the Greek period, but, but it's, it's really a Greek city at that time. It's no longer really, an, it's no longer Egyptian in its ethnicity, and it's no longer Egyptian in its, you know, all of its culture and everything. It, it's taken over by the Greeks. And so it had some prominence then, the time of Cleopatra. We'll read about that in Daniel chapter 11 when we get there. But then later on in the Muslim period, it had some prominence because it became the center of a caliphate at a certain point in Islamic history. But until modern times, Egypt is a relatively insignificant country in comparison, obviously, to what it was at one time in world history. So the, the prophetic word here from Ezekiel has indeed come to pass. Now, there's one other portion here where the Lord speaks to Nebuchadnezzar, or he speaks about Nebuchadnezzar, and he informs the Egyptians that Nebuchadnezzar is going to come and conquer them. So again, they had been able to resist him. They'd been able to prevent themselves from being overtaken. But in verse 17 of chapter 29, look what it says. It says, 
in the 27th year, in the first month, on the first day, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, drove his army in a hard campaign against Tyre. Every head was rubbed bare and every shoulder made raw. The picture there is, you know, they were, they were worked so hard that their helmets uh, rubbed their hair off. And in carrying their equipment and everything, their shoulders were made raw. And yet he and his army got no reward from the campaign he led against Tyre. Remember, in our last study, we saw how Nebuchadnezzar conquered Tyre, but Tyre was able, because it was such a long siege, they were able to offload all of their riches. And so by the time Nebuchadnezzar finally conquered Tyre, there was no spoil left for him. And so God says, here he says, Yet he and his army, they, they got a reward from the campaign that they led against Tyre. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I am going to give Egypt to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he will carry off its wealth. He will loot and plunder, and uh, he will loot and plunder the land as pay for his army. I have given him Egypt as a reward for his efforts because he and his army did it for me, declares the sovereign Lord. So, you know, this is an interesting thing um, to see how involved God is in these nations. And and this was very much the case during this period in history. So all of these surrounding nations, Israel being at the center of it, God was very much involved in particularly the judgments that took place on these nations. Now, we live in a time where God is not dealing so much with nations as he did then, but he will deal with nations yet in the future. So we're living in this period, you know, different people have called it different things, but it's, you know, in a sense, I mean, it really is this age of grace where God's primary work in the world is not so much the judging of nations and so forth. His primary work in the world is gathering together a people for his name. And so God, according to Paul in 2 Corinthians, is not currently imputing men's trespasses to them. And you could just expand that to say God is currently not imputing nations' trespasses to them. So not to say that there aren't nations that maybe God has or hasn't judged, but we don't have the kind of clarity on that 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 you had at this period in history. I mean, the the prophets were making it clear that God was speaking about judging these nations. So, you know, we could look at various nations, uh, even in the world today, we can think of extremely wicked nations. Uh, We can think of uh, North Korea or, or someplace like that. And we see that you have a people who are living under this just horrific oppression. And, and yet the leadership just continues to carry on and so forth. You know, somebody might wonder, well, why isn't God overthrowing these wicked leaders and so forth? And, and again, this is just 
not that time in history where God is doing that. But he will do that again in the future. That's what, when we talk about a tribulation period, the tribulation period is about a judgment upon the nations. So, but we'll get to that when we get a little bit further here in Ezekiel. So, again, all the way through chapter 32, you have, beginning in 29, you have seven different prophecies that are all regarding Egypt and Pharaoh. And it's all essentially saying the same thing, that God will ultimately judge Pharaoh and his armies. So that brings us to chapter 33. Now, chapter 33 is almost a word-for-word repeat of a previous chapter. Remember the chapter where the Lord uh, called Ezekiel to be a watchman. And, and throughout that whole chapter, God is, he's talking about um, people who are individually responsible for their sin. He's talking about how, how the children are saying, um, our parents ate the sour grapes and our teeth are on edge. And the Lord says, no. Your problems are not because of your parents. Your problems are, you've created your own problems. In other words, it's what God is saying. And then he talks about the the wicked man who turns from his wicked ways and pursues righteousness and how God's gonna forgive him and he's gonna restore him and he's gonna bless him. But then he talks about the righteous man who turns from his righteous ways and turns to wickedness and God is going to judge that person. So chapter 33 is just almost a word-for-word repeat of that uh, portion where God had spoken those things to Ezekiel. So there's no need for us to uh, revisit those. But at the, the end of the chapter, there is something that is interesting. In verse 30 of chapter 33, listen to what God says to Ezekiel. He says, as for you, son of man, your people are talking together about you by the walls and at the doors of the housing, saying to each other, come and hear the message that has come from the Lord. My people come to you as they usually do and sit before you to hear your words. So this is what they do. They come before Ezekiel to hear his words, but they do not put them into practice. Their mouths speak of love, but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. Indeed, to them, you are nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well. For they hear your words, but they do not put them into practice. So the Lord just wants Ezekiel to know what's really going on in the hearts and minds of the people, because people are coming to listen to what he says. And you know, if you're a preacher, like Ezekiel was, you got a crowd of people, and you're preaching, you're thinking, all right, man, God's working here. <laughs> you're, you're, you're hoping that this is getting through, and we're gonna see a breakthrough, and we're gonna see a change. And the Lord says to Ezekiel, that's not happening. Don't kid yourself. The people are coming and listening, but it's, you're entertaining to them. They find this entertaining. This is interesting. 
this is, well, this is fascinating stuff that you're saying, Ezekiel. But there was nothing in their hearts that was changing. And, you know, this is, this is something that can happen. I think of back in um, American history, I think of back at the time of, uh, you know, the kind of the revolutionary, pre-revolutionary period, you know, a very famous person in American history is Benjamin Franklin. And a very famous preacher at the time was a man named George Whitfield. And George Whitfield was an amazing orator. He, he was phenomenal. He had such eloquence and he had such power in his speech. And actually, when he was in England, he would preach to crowds of 10, 20,000 people back in the days before there was amplification and all that. So anyway, he's just this, just this just amazing communicator. And Benjamin Franklin was often seen in the crowd listening to Whitfield. But he never responded to the message. But when he was asked by certain people, you know, so what are you doing here? I mean, do, do you believe what he's saying? And at one, on, on one occasion, he was asked, do you believe Whitfield's message? And Franklin's response was no, but he does. That's why I come to listen to him. So he was impressed with his ability to communicate. He was impressed with his deep conviction and passion, but he never found a place in his own heart for the gospel. So this kind of thing, it can happen. And, you know, I, I've experienced this over the years with people who, um, you know, this is interesting around the subject of Bible prophecy. I've talked to so many people over the years who are so interested in Bible prophecy Man, they study it and they know about it and they, they want to know like, hey, what's happening next? You know, where's the Antichrist? Is he coming yet? Or, uh, wow, what's going on? You know, and they've got all of these things that they've heard about, looked into. And, you know, in the end, it's like, well, well what about you and your relationship with Jesus? Oh, well, that, you know, I'm not really interested in that. But boy, this stuff is fascinating. So there's a, there's a danger that we can become enamored with a style or with uh, you know, maybe, maybe the content or the way people uh, say things, their communicative skills and so forth, but actually just it never has any impact. That's what was happening in Ezekiel's day. And so the Lord goes on and he says, concerning the words of Ezekiel, he said, when all this comes true, everything that he's been telling them, and it surely will come true, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. So they will know when the Egyptians are defeated and there's no rescue or deliverance coming. It's just like Jeremiah said, there's 70 years of captivity they're going into. It's just like Ezekiel said, they will know ultimately that a prophet has been among them. Now, chapter 34, chapter 34 now moves into God's addressing the, the people who were in many ways responsible for the condition of the nation. And it's the shepherds. 
So chapter 34, verse one, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? For the month of November, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, One Minute Answers to Skeptics, Concise Responses to the Top 50 Objections and Questions by Charlie Campbell. Learn how to give a defense for the faith in a conversational style and strengthen your own confidence in the existence of God and the reliability of the Word. The book, One Minute Answers to Skeptics by Charlie Campbell, is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Ezekiel. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.